You know, it's a, I, th- I think it's a very simple, um, a very simple mindset. Uh, we we think so many times around the Fourth of July, what does it mean to be a good American? And I I really believe if we will live our lives with the purpose of being a good Christian, a good Christ follower, uh, we won't have to worry about what kind of American we are, uh, because uh, being an American, the, that definition, a good American, may shift over our lifetime. But being a good Christ follower is much more concrete. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a life that we're called to live every day. And if we really pursue that life and we, we find our strength in him and we find our encouragement in Christ, uh, then, then what we live on the outside and how we interact with people, we won't have to judge and we won't have to find its merit based on the country we live in, but really the God that we serve um, and the Jesus that we belong to. So um, as, as you celebrate your freedom today, man, I, I hope you have time to get together with family and, and so many people that are watching online. Thank you for taking time and getting some rest and, and really spending time with your family and loving on them today. Uh, so we really hope that you have a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of people take time to really rest and spend it with family today because I'm going to be on the road driving for a few hours uh, to go speak at this camp this week. So I am just, I am just content if everybody is, is barbecuing and nobody's on the road. I can get there um, a lot quicker. In fact, love, and, and if from here to, to Fort Caswell, invite your local law enforcement to that cookout because um, if they're not on the road, uh, that just makes it even that much more, that much more free. Um, not that I would speed. Nobody ever speed. Christians don't speed, right? Like, we don't do anything weird on the road. We don't do... I, I will tell you this. Um, I, I don't know. I've always had just... I guess I've always owned just cars of low intelligence. I've never owned, like, a smart car or anything that's, like, really thanks for itself. Um, my, my sons always tell me um, the amazing things that they read online about cars and one of the popular topics, um, that, as we've discussed, that kind of stuff is, um, is a Tesla. Um, and on Highway 150 this week, I almost got hit by a Tesla. I thought those were supposed to be smarter cars. Um, and, and evidently, their, their car is just as ignorant as mine is because it started backing up towards me uh, coming from the railroad tracks. They put someone put it in reverse, and I guess they thought, hey, now's a good time to go to Dollar General, except I was in the way. Um, so I had to, like punch the gas, whip it over into the other lane, and we stopped and we met window to window. And, of course, the first thought in my mind was, what would Jesus say? Um, but then that thought left my mind, and I just asked him what Derek said. And uh, if you're here this morning, Jesus does love you, and I'm working on it. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 51. And uh, this is a psalm that even recently, I believe, Chris, you... you have incorporated this psalm into worship in our student ministry. There's a portion of the song that he's um, sung the lyrics to and led our students in. Um, psalm 51 is, 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 is really a heart cry, heart confession of King David. It follows a period of very known, what we, I mean, it's, it's very known publicly now for sure, um, his sin. And we, we, I talked to even, I mentioned even during announcements, one of the greatest freedoms in our life is really not the ability that we have to just easily gather for worship. It's not, it's, it's not that we can um, go out and earn any level of income that we potentially could pursue or just we have an open field of career choices. The greatest freedom we have to celebrate is the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. But I think sometimes we say that, and we don't really think through and process through, okay, if it's freedom in Christ, that means it's freedom from something, right? It's not just 
hey, you know, it's, it's this great new life. It's literally freedom from something. And, and the freedom that we live in is, is, is from the very thing that convicts us of guilt, unworthy to know God. Um, it, it's the very thing that we can practically live a Christian life with it not controlling us and, and really driving our decisions and, and really the, the gauge of our desires. The thing that we're free from, we're really called to live free from, and, and Jesus forgives us from um, to be able to have eternal life with him is this thing called sin. And sometimes I think, and I know I'm real, you probably are never guilty of this. I'll just say that I'm guilty of this, of, of having conversations and having a mindset that wants to minimize and kind of package in and box in my sin. And I don't really think about really what, what is what is the full measure of my sin? What, what, is, what will it ultimately lead to? What, what does it do in my relationship with the Lord? What does it make me? Because I, I want to call it, my, um, I call it my, my, my mistakes. I want to call it my, my, I'll even say a bigger word than that, my failure. Because right when, you hear, when we hear words like mistakes and failures, we almost, we almost want to come around somebody that says that and go, you know what, let, let me help you. Let, let me, let, it's it's going to be okay. And the reality is, if, if we really don't capture a proper perspective of just the seriousness of our sin, we'll never realize um, sin is just never going to be okay. Uh, we're in the series called Adulting, and last week we talked about the real kind of rest and restoration we need as adults. We need to really understand that because there's, there's no more summer vacations for us. There's no more two months out of the summer that we can kind of just chill out and relax and, and kind of not have... Um, responsibilities, we, we, we have to choose to enter into that rest, and we have to choose to really seek the Lord and to be able to be equipped for what we need. And this week, I want to talk to you about really having a little bit more, and, and man, just even in studying this, God's really convicted me to have a, a lot more adult perspective on really the weight and, and the measure of my sin. Um, and, and what I want to do is I, I really believe the Lord's led us to, to Psalm 51 because David is not, he was not just king, he was an artist. Um, he, he, was, he was a songwriter, he was a musician. He was able to, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, put things and phrasing and words that um, were not just songs, which they were. I mean, th- this was, this is, Psalms is the worship set, right? It's the worship set for, for the church, the Israelites. Um, they didn't just sing this. This were, these were real-life stories that David would write to just not just allow people to, to kind of recognize God, but really to be able to see their own condition themselves. So in Psalms 51, we're going to start that in just a second, but just kind of as a perspective, um, one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament, I believe you can read and kind of get a good adulting perspective on sin, is Romans 6. Romans 6 says to consider yourself dead to sin. And this is talking about a relationship with God. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Dead to sin. And, and Ephesians agrees with this. Chapter 2, it said that we were, before we were saved, we were dead in our sin. Now, a lot of times I think we think, okay, well, sin is my, is, is my big pileup of mistakes. No, sin is actually what, what convicted us of our dead position and condition in life. We, 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 we may have been living and breathing, but, but when you look at eternity, when you look at a relationship with God, dead represents this, zero chance. 
Zero chance. And, and, and if, if, if you're an odds person, if you ever think about, hey, what's the, what's the odds that this is going to happen? Or, or what's the likelihood that my team is going to win this? If, you, if, you, if you're really into odds, it's z- dead is zero chance of life spiritually. Now, it, it's, it's, death is really not just who we are, but it's also what we earned. If you've heard Romans 6.23, what does it say? That the wages of sin is death. And in fact, what does sin earn me? Death. No relationship with God and no hope for a relationship with God. But that's what we're supposed to live free from. David was somebody who worshipped the Lord, who, who knew that he was called by God. Um, this, this, is, this is the Old Testament. We, we kind of have a mindset and we think through our, our life a lot of times in terms of the New Testament. But there's some incredible connections in this psalm of, about what we exist in and what David exists in. But, but when we look at this... I want you to hear this um, and encourage you to hear this in, in three sections that we're going to divide this into. And, and don't start thinking, and please, and I want to kind of give you some freedom for a second, because many times when somebody thinks of, when somebody just brings up sin, right, like that's, like, I probably shouldn't lead with that was my sermon content right there. I mean, it, like right at the beginning, that's kind of like, eh, let's, let's see what we can get on our phone. Let's see, let's see what we can, we can find on social media, because I'd rather not hear about sin for the next few minutes. Well, Two things. One, we all know that it's not going to be a few minutes. Um, and two, um, I, I, don't, I don't want you to go mentally and emotionally to, all right, let me just kind of think about my sin. Just, just hear from the word of the Lord for a few minutes. Just hear from somebody who had dealt with their own sin, and let's listen to their story and how God works through it and how God really forms the mind of David, okay? Um, verse 1 in Psalm 51, it says, Be gracious to me, O God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are... Right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. It, it, it almost seems like you, you, you kind of want to come up beside David and go, hang on a second, David. Like, we get you messed up, but man, let's, I mean, give yourself some credit. Like, do you ever find that in yourself when you're talking to somebody? You just kind of, your automatic gear is you want to make them feel better? Our instinct is we want to make someone feel good. And, in, and honestly, the number one person I want to make feel good is me. When I think about myself, I want to go, hey, you know, it's, maybe, it's, you know, it's not so bad. But, but we kind of we, we see these guilt trips come up. And we, we read this and go, hang on a second. We're talking about rebellion? I mean, really, rebellion? I, I, I don't see myself as wanting to be totally against God. I don't, that, that's, that's, not what I, I, that's not how I see myself. I don't want to see myself really standing in this place of guilt. And, and, I, and I don't often see... What I just did or what I just looked at or what I just thought is something that really goes all the way back to birth. But David is very aware of something, and, I, and, and this statement is going to be on the screen. I want to encourage you to think about this as, as David works through this. Our sin is always bigger, is a bigger deal than our pride wants it to be. Our sin is always a bigger deal than our pride wants it to be. We don't want to walk around in this life feeling guilty. But when sin reigns in our life, that's what we are. It's, it's what we are when we're born. 
We're born with a nature that is sinful. If you want to know what a sin, if you've forgotten what a sin nature looks like, we'd love to sign you up for kids ministry. Because it just flows out of them automatically. We, we never gather our kids up and go, now we're going to tell, teach everybody today how to roll your eyes. You don't have to teach that. It's a sin nerve that's in your brain that when a thought connects with it, your eyes just do this like flip over and you're just like, well, that's, that's awesome. We don't, we don't educate people on how to cheat at school or cheat at work. We don't teach people how to be unfaithful to relationships. It's what naturally comes out of us. And David here, I, I find it interesting. I, I heard this said about um, I, I heard this said about Psalm 51 one time. Um, I, I heard someone speaking on it say, you know, I, I always thought that Psalms 51, if it was written today, would probably have different lyrics to it. And the lyrics would be something more like this. Lord, help me guard my eyes. Lord, help me not look at pornography. Lord, help me, help me to kind of guard myself in this area. And, and yes, David was guilty, we know, of, of adultery. He was guilty of lust. He looked at Bathsheba before he called her into his dwelling place, into his castle, and, and brought her in there. He, he was guilty because it, for, her, for Bathsheba, let's call it, I mean, honestly, let's just call it what it is. For Bathsheba to have said no to the king, she would have likely been fearing death. So we're not really outside the idea that he used his power for sexual conquest, which we, we call that in our society rape. He was ultimately guilty of, of Uriah's life, her husband, who he sent out to a position that he would surely die willfully. You know, D David could have broken this and boxed these in, and, and, and you don't hear him talking about even specific sins. Why? Because the specific sins that we commit are a symptom of a bigger problem. Now, please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you, and I'm not saying, because I, 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 I would love to be able to operate under this auspice in life. I don't ever have to deal with specific sins. No, we have to deal with specific sins. If there's certain temptations that are a struggle for us, God gives us the, the ability to go to Him, to rely on Him for the strength, to, to confess those to others, so through accountability we can gain freedom because we're supposed to celebrate that, we're supposed to live free. So yes, certainly if there's a specific sin that is a particular draw for us, we have to pay attention to that. But, but David realizes it, it's, what happened, what came out of me, was, was really not just, well, I had a weak moment. David realized that what happened is the danger of just being human, the danger of the sin nature that lives in us, in the reliance that we need on something God can provide that we don't just wake up every morning with. I know David would say, yeah, I need to watch where I am and what I'm looking at and the thoughts of my heart and my mind. I know David would be convicted of that. But, but if we just isolate sin to one act that we commit, we're more likely, I believe, to minimize it and downplay it than really to look at it and go, this is just by nature who I was born as. And it's, and it's possibly the desire of my heart. So I have, to, I have to open my heart to the Lord because he has something for me that I can't, I can't generate myself. The, the very first verses, he's asked for God's graciousness. He's, he's depending on God's faithful love and his abundant compassion to do something for his sin that he could not do for himself. Um, the next verse in verse 6 David continues on, he says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self. Now, I, I, would, I would 
I encourage you to do this, if, especially if, you, if you're looking at a Bible or if you go back and read this. In, in verses 6 to 9, David is very clear on, what, on the times he's using the you pronoun for God. He's saying, Lord, I'm coming to you for this. Like, this is what I need you to do. So you can see verses 6 through 9 very much as there's something that the Lord can do and there's something that David is in great need of. Because he's aware, hey, my sin is a bigger issue than my pride wants to admit to. So, so notice what he says. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Now, I find that interesting because I, David is not unintelligent. I mean, yes, he, he grew up as, as a humble shepherd. But, but David at this stage of his life shows evidence that he had a very sharp mind. And, he, and, and really, he also shows that he, he really knows the truth of God's word and the need to worship him. So, so really, what is this missing wisdom? Is, is David confused that what he did was a sin? No. Just like most of the time, you and I, we, we know when we do something sinful. You, you know what? Fourth of July always kind of makes me laugh because um, many, many of us, and, and I have to include myself in this, um, we, we, we are at places where fireworks are, are shot into the air, and the fireworks that we participate with aren't necessarily what we would call street legal, right? But they're awesome. I mean, we're looking at them, they're beautiful, but, but right, we do get that, like, we, we all are, you know what we're all listening for? A car door to shut. You know why? Because we're like, oh, there's somebody out here to catch us. Because there's this thing inside of us that goes, I'm doing something I really shouldn't be doing, but I really want to do it. It's really fun. And there's, there's just millions of those things that exist in us. It's not that we don't know what is a sin and what's not a sin many times, but the wisdom deep within is the understanding that God can give us of why is this thing sinful? And what are the ramifications of this? What could this lead to in your life and in my life? That, that knowledge deep within is, Lord, don't just make me aware that I did wrong, but God, help me know why, how it affected you. Lord, help me understand why the purpose of righteousness here is something different than what I chose. And God, help me, strengthen me, and let me see what a gospel lifestyle looks like so that I can go live that for you. It says, purify me, and th- purify me, and that's God purifying him with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So if, um, if a household in their culture, if a sickness or a disease had been discovered, when, when that's discovered, they have to go through purifying the house so it would be a healthy dwelling place for people to go live. So after the house was cleaned, after they felt like this is a safe place for people to live, um, someone from the temple would come in and they would take a hyssop branch and they would dip it, dip it in blood that had been um, presented for, to the Lord as a sacrifice and they would dip that branch in blood and they would walk through the house and they would just shake the branch so that the blood would just kind of be um, cast out over the house and, and, it, and it would be sprinkled through the house. Now that was done as, as a cleansing, as a spiritual sign of Lord, um, we... we we, we believe this house to be clean, but we know, Lord, for, for it to truly be clean, not just of a, a physical sickness, but of sin that would be 
the cause of that or anything. Lord, we want to ask your blessing. We want to ask for health for people that are going to move back in this house. We come to you in that method of worship. And at that point, a family could then, after that was done with that hyssop branch, they could move back into the house and begin, um, begin living there and expect to live there healthy. Well, David is using that practical thing to say, Lord, inside this house that I live in, this, this, this physical body that is the, the dwelling place of my soul, Lord, come through this place. You pronounce it clean. You show me what needs to happen. And Lord, you do this, this cleansing in me so that I can live in here healthy. So that I can live in this body with, with the mind that I need and the heart that I need, with the decisions that need to be made, so I can live this in a way that is pleasing and honoring and healthy to you. It says, wash me and I will be um, whiter than snow. That's, that's the sure result of God's forgiveness. The sure result of God's forgiveness is that we will be washed whiter than snow. Um, if, if you carry and I carry guilt over sin that we can't live free from, that's not because God isn't willing to forgive it and, and able to forgive it. It's that we create entrapments within our souls and in our minds over things that we won't really release ourselves from. Things that the Lord is very ready to help us move out of. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. Here's the second the second construct that I want to, I want to really want to encourage you to see this passage through. True forgiveness and atonement only comes through Jesus Christ. David had the power to get into his sin, right? Does that make sense? So when he saw a woman, he said, okay, you come here. He had that power. Um, when, when, when he had guilt and he saw this, the, this husband that represented the, the fact that he would have to deal potentially with this sin, um, he was able to send him to a place where, where that could be taken care of. He, he was a man of a, with enough power that he got into his sin, but to get out of his sin, he realized he lacked that power. I find myself in the same position. The sin that I, that I go into, I can get myself into. But freedom from that sin, I'm powerless because it's the nature that I was born, in, born with and, and, and it becomes the desire of my heart. Forgiveness and atonement only comes through Christ. Um, when, when, when David goes to the Lord for this, he knows to get out of his sin to receive, as he says in verse 8, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. He said, in other words, it, Lord, for you to turn the conviction of my heart and the repentance of my heart into joy, I need you to do that work. Because if I just try to self-help me through this, help me. Right? It, it just, it, he says, I, I know where I'll end up. Now, I want to I read a couple verses to you that, because this is so interesting to me. Um, just to understand what God has been up to from beginning to now and eternity future. So when David was found out, God sent a prophet named Nathan to David. And Nathan told David a story. If you've never read this, I want to encourage you to go in a second Samuel and read this. Nathan tells David a story that um, David gets enraged by. But the story is just representing the sin that David had just committed. 
And, and David's reaction was like, you know, they ought to be punished. They ought to be killed. They're guilty. And Nathan just simply replies with, you're the guy in the story. David's got nothing. I mean, he's king. I mean, again, Nathan goes on behalf of the Lord. Lord sent him to do it. So he went in with boldness in this and basically said, okay, David, you're right about your own sin. And, and in that moment, David became very guilty in his feelings. He, came, he became very convicted in his spirit. And he really wanted restoration with the Lord. And, and coming out of a, a time of prayer and all of these things, and, and it, along the same times that Psalms 51 would have been written, in 2 Samuel 12, David says this to Nathan. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David didn't make excuses. David didn't say, hey, you know, I'll do better next time. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Because remember, what's, what's the wages of sin? What do we earn from our sin? Death. Physical death is ultimately the requirement for payment of sin. But spiritual death and just the, the, the wall between us and the Lord just keeps getting bigger and thicker. He says, but you will not die. However, because you, you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, he said, in other words, because of sin, there is a consequence. The son born to you will die. Verse 15, then Nathan went home. That was just a horrible transition by a pastor in that moment. He just left him. So the, the consequence of the sin existed. That that son of his was not going to continue living. So David had to live with... The understanding that that was a consequence to his sin. That's a big weight. But he also had that conversation prior to writing verse 51 where he said, Lord, I, I need to hear joy from you. I need you to restore me to a place of mental sanity and emotional health. I, I need that from you because I'm seeing the evidence of the guilt of my sin. God did not leave him just with guilt. God forgave him. And you say, hey, how could God just pass over his sin? Like, it just makes no sense that God would just keep moving forward when he sinned. Here's, here's the, a gospel couple of verses out of Romans 3. God presented him, that's Jesus, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the restraint God passed over the sins previously committed, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's the insanity of the gospel. You and I, before we ever really even knew who Jesus was, we had sin in our past. David, before Jesus ever died on the cross, lived and walked in sin. God passed over it. He didn't require immediate judgment because Jesus was going to be the one who was going to be just and justifier. That's an incredible truth to, to, to make a note in Romans um, 3 if you ever get a chance to. Just and justifier. What does that mean? Jesus is perfectly correct and just in looking at you or me and going, you're guilty and I don't accept sin. He is just in doing that. But why, why is this Christian faith alive? Because Jesus didn't just pronounce judgment on us. He also himself was the justifier. He said, you know, it's not just that you're guilty. I'm going to be the one that's going to set you free. That's the insanity of the gospel. That we could be guilty, rightfully guilty, judged accurately, but be set free out of the grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. 
nothing that David deserved. I and mean, we can look at David. Remember, if we step outside, if we, if we don't pull our own junk into this yet, and we just say, okay, David, I'm just going to look at you. You're wrong, you're guilty, you're horrible. It's easy to sit in judgment over him. And then all of a sudden, we will, would God, you passed over that? Yes, because God said, I have to work this plan out. Because Jesus, even after David's life, is just and justifier. He could have judged David, but he was also David's justifier. He freed David from his sin. It comes through the same person, right? I mean, our justice system, if I go commit a crime today, I'm going to sit in front of a judge, but then I'm also going to have to go get a lawyer to defend me. I've got to find all the right people and all the right processes if I hope to be free. In our spiritual relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's all one person. So important for us to understand. Because the one that could convict us, frees us. That's enough to worship in. So, what's what's one of the big takeaways? If, If forgiveness and atonement only comes through Christ, why is that so important for me to understand? We we spend great energy, great energy in apologizing to other people. And I'm not here to tell you this morning that that's wrong. I mean, the Bible clearly tells us in certain ways, here's how you need to go make things right with someone that there's an offense. But the Bible specifically talks about there being an offense. It's not the same thing as sin guilt before God because every sin is against God. And too many times our greatest effort is spent making something right with one person and not saying, Lord, I've sinned against you. I can, if I make it right with them, that doesn't change anything in our relationship. I mean, think about the magnitude of that. We can have these workable relationships all around us through, through tons of effort and sweat and turmoil and conversations and, and, and stress levels and anxiety. We can, we can work all these horizontal relationships and still be spiritually dead in that sin because we've never taken it to the Lord. As a dad, one of the most humbling moments years back was realizing how much effort I put into telling my sons, you need to apologize to your brother, and I, and I didn't spend enough time telling them, hey, you need to go take some, I'm not even going to set chores and screens and everything aside. I want to give you the time to go talk to Jesus about this. Because my sin and not raising them correctly was a sign of my deeper need. I was more focused on other relationships than even my own relationship with the Lord in certain ways. Here's the last section of verses that we're going to look at of Psalms 51. This is, uh, starts in verse 10. It says, God, and there's a, there's a key, the, the word renew in here is kind of the, is kind of the key to the next, next major point that we're going to have here as we conclude. It says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, if, if you're looking at this in your own Bible, um, or if you're taking notes, so, so far we've seen David's heaviness over a sin guilt that he realized. So, in, in salvation, sin is what Jesus made an atonement, a full payment for, represented for us. So that gets us into a relationship with God through Jesus. So that's, that's us getting saved in that initial moment. Us, us working out our salvation, Jesus saving us through our life, is us living in righteousness. So in other words, getting sin out of our life, bringing righteousness in. It's changing our decision making. 
Okay? So as we understand this, yes, we can be serious about certain sins, but what is ultimately God working this out in our life for? So we will walk faithfully with him. That's called being a disciple. Um, I, we, we talked at our, our kids' camp last week about discipleship. A disciple is, some, is someone we, we are. That's who, it's who we are, and it's also what we're called to make. And that's, a, that's a huge thing. We're, we're called to be a disciple, and we're called to make disciples. So, so this, the overflow of David's heart, his, his great heart over sin, his, his correct view of sin, is going to now unfold for us what does it mean to be a disciple and also make disciples for Jesus Christ. So if you want to make some, some notes in this passage, this first verse, verse 10, God create a, a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is now focusing us on a restored, renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, why? We're good people? No. Because we want to? No. Because sin has been dealt with. So now we're working on this right relationship. Verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You can write the word abide. When Jesus gives the parable of the vine and the branches, that's the whole point. To remain in Christ for that close relationship to get the resourcing for everything we need in life. We're called to abide. We, we can't be a faithful disciple without abiding in Jesus. So this is David's heart. Hey, to have a, new, a, a right heart in me, to have a right spirit in me, to have my mind right, my heart right, what's going to be the overflow of that? Lord, I need, I need to abide in you, and I know that I need you, Lord, to keep me close. Because what does David realize? My tendency is to wonder. It's the same tendency I have in my decisions, in my mind, in my conversations. I, I, I tend to want to wonder. Verse 12 Restore the joy of my salvation to me. David said, it's, it's source of joy. If you want to write that down, source of joy. Um, David knew in that moment, if his mind went to justify himself, it was a losing battle. Why? Because he knew he had a son that he would never forget. There's consequences to our sin. We'll never forget. There'll be memories of things that will never be able to completely wash away and when we see that sin in others especially those that we love the most convicting moment as a dad for me is when I see evidence of sin that I've committed going on in the lives of my sons and it's a convicting thought and, it, and, it, and it's a thought that wants to convict us and damn us and just keep our, our, our thoughts and our emotions at such a place that, that we're so easy to attack by Satan but David knew Lord you you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't call me to live a life just convicted, but, but through conviction and repentance to understand and realize and walk in joy that you can give me. He said, okay, so I'm going to concentrate. What's my source of joy? Restore the joy of your salvation. He called um, in God for it. He says, and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. That's lordship. That's lordship. That, that, that is that is the, one of the foundational essentials and absolutes of salvation. To say, Jesus, your way, not my way. Jesus prayed that himself. So, so to have lordship aware in my life, that I, that I would see the things in my life the way that he would see them, that I would not just want to do life my way and enjoy the desires and fun that I want to pursue, but I would say, God, help me understand the purpose why of what you're calling me to. And, and, and Lord, give me, the, give me the boldness to submit to that. And change my thinking, change the way I act, change the way I make decisions. Verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Um, in other words, this is evangelism and this is making disciples. David said, listen, Lord, if, if you will teach me, I will go teach. 
What did Jesus say making disciples was all about? Yes, baptism, that outward sign that we're called to do. But he says, teach them everything that I have taught you. Take the lessons from our sin and help someone with it. It's difficult. It's sometimes embarrassing. It takes a lot of humility. But it can save a life. Because that's what sin is. It's death. And we want to choose life. He says, save me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God's, God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is, this is vocal worship. This is worship with our mouth, the things that we say, the songs that we sing. Verse 16, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it to you. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. That's worship on the inside. David knew that even coming out of great sin, he could again live a life of worship on the outside and worship on the inside. Isn't that amazing? Here's the last statement that will be on the screen. It says, forgiveness is not the ultimate goal but it is the first step toward restoration and renewal. Now, please, please don't hear me. I, I'm not trying to minimize our need for forgiveness because, again, I, I, I stand by the premise, sin equals death. It's what keeps us away from the Lord from our birth, but it's also what stands in between my relationship with God. When I sin, it's a wall that's being built. It's harder to hear from Him. Um, it, it's harder to really know that I'm obeying Him or know what He wants from me because it's just building and building and building until that sin is dealt with, that free and open communication, that closeness is really not there. Um, have you ever heard someone make this statement? I, I just, I just want to feel close to God. I don't, I, don't, I don't really feel close to Him right now in this part of my life. Sometimes we think, okay, well, Here's the answer, go back to church. I found for me, the answer is deal with the sin that he's shown me. Because no matter where I am or who I'm with, when sin isn't between me and the Lord, the closeness is there. And even when I don't feel it, his truth makes it sure in my mind. In 1 John 1, um, Verses 8 and 9 are, are, are two pretty popular verses that talk about sin. Verse 8 basically says this. The one who says that they don't sin or don't have sin is a liar. <laughs> um, as, as, a, as a basic truth, if, if we shift this story of David over and aim it at our lives, if any of us sit here and say, I don't sin, what I'm, what I'm doing is not that big of a deal. The Bible, just the, the truth of God's word just simply says that's, that's a lie. And it actually proves the point. <laughs> By the way, it's kind of ironic. If you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar. Well, what's lying? A sin. Mm, got me. But what does it say in the verse after that? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just. That means, that means he has the right to, to judge, but he's the one that says, I'll forgive it. I will forgive it. He'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to not leave us in that guilt, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Sin is 
the unerasable obstacle to us coming to God on our own. But in Christ, sin is the removable obstacle to our Christian life. I, I want to tell you this as, as just humbly as I can because it, it hurts your soul and your heart to have to preach on a topic like sin because you can't preach on sin without becoming very aware of what yours is. You can't preach with the right heart about sin without becoming very aware of what your own sin is. So I don't want to suggest this to you as if I'm unwilling to do this work. I have, I have been worn out in the last few weeks just because when you, when you deal with your own sin, it's, it's that you've got you to gotta flesh through some of the initial guilt that you have to really start to be able to get to the place where David was when he wrote this. Remember, he didn't, this song he wrote was after the journey that he had walked with this. So, so to flesh through some of this stuff, to really get to where you desire um, the, the closeness with the Lord and, and you really see strength that you need coming from him, to really be at that place, it, it, it is a journey that the Lord walks us with, walks us through. But I, but I want to ask you to, to just simply just follow the process that David went through. To, to not be tempted to box in a sin to say it's really not that big of a deal or it's really not affecting me that much. It, sin is always in terms of death and life. And, it, and it's going to breed one or the other. Our decisions will breed one or the other. And, and I have large blind spots in my life. I don't know if you do the same. We, we tend to have large blind spots, and we tend to really not be aware of what sin does to us, what it will continue to do for us, or, or we, we kind of deal with the Lord on salvation, and we say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm headed in a different direction now, but to please don't minimize it. And open your heart, open your mind to say, oh, Lord, show me how deep it runs. Show me what the greater issue is, and what maybe this one or two specific sins is a symptom of. And once we do that, realize that, that even though we see issues and relationships all around us, let's, let's really commit the practice of when a sin comes to mind, taking that to the Lord, and, and, and because he is faithful and there, and there is forgiveness there, but, but without that forgiveness, there will be difficulty in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others. But ultimately... Let's keep at our heart what the big goal is. It's not just to be forgiven of a sin. It's to live this gospel-centered life that Jesus is calling us to, that, that maybe we've just dipped our toes into, and we can yet still experience so much more. Our praise team is going to come back up now at this time. And, and, and I, am, um, <laughs> I, am a, I am a pastor, but I'm not an idiot. And I say this for this reason. Um, I don't. I, it's not often you come in and you preach on, spe especially specific sins, that the response at the end of a service is people just knocking and elbowing others over to say, "I'm going to go down front and I'm going to really seek the Lord just in my own in my own self this morning." I always realize that when we talk about sin being an obstacle to our closeness with the Lord, to the freedom that God's really called us to live in. Everything inside of us says, 
don't, don't publicly pray over or acknowledge this because of the thoughts and opinions of others. Everything inside of us, our, our enemy Satan says, hey, bottle this up. Don't take this in conversation to somebody else that's a Christian. They won't understand. They haven't walked through your life. There will be consequences that if you, just, if you just keep it bottled up that you'll probably always be able to avoid. So as, we kind of, as I kind of say that out loud, what, what does it sound like? I'm not asking for an audible answer, but just in your mind. What does it sound like those thoughts are leading us to? Closeness with the Lord? Freedom? Or a self-built prison? sounds a lot for me in my own life as a self-built prison please make no mistake God has called you and me to live in freedom in Jesus Christ but we don't get to that freedom by going oh yeah my sins are behind me or my, my it's just it's it's my failure it's my mistakes it's just it's something that I you know I'm, I'm just I'm meant to feel better about he wants to bring us into that freedom through repentance through forgiveness through joy, through all the things that we can muster up? No, no. That fight is exhausting. Through what he wants to do and what he can do. So whether you move or don't move or you sing or you don't sing in the moments in response to God's word, please be willing to let the Lord do the work that only he, only he can do deep in your soul and in mine. Father God, thank you so much for the truth and grace of salvation in Jesus. That we didn't do anything to receive it. We didn't work for it. We didn't create it. But Lord, in our sin, we were guilty. We were dead in sin. But Lord, the gospel tells us the truth is that we can be made alive in Christ. It doesn't just happen because we show up at a church. But Lord, the process of beginning a relationship with you, what we call being saved, Lord, is, is when we come with a humble heart, confessing our sin to you, acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Lord coming to you for salvation. Not that we need to do that and we don't need to do that, Lord, every day of our life because beginning a relationship with you is, is foundational in, in how we begin all relationships. There's a meeting time and there's a meeting place. So Lord, I pray that this morning, if someone has never really come to you with a humble heart before, that right now and, and right here, this is their meeting time and their meeting place, Lord, for salvation in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that they give their, their life, they surrender to you because, Lord, we want to hold our own life to our own possession. For God, for those of us who are saved already, who, who know that, that, that we do have things in our life, Lord, that we need to deal with you over that is sinful, Lord, help us to not minimize those. Help us to not um, go to anyone else for the forgiveness that we need and to restore the relationship we need with you. Lord, help us to not... Um, just stop at praying for forgiveness but Lord help us to continue to pursue the kind of relationship Lord with you that we can have all the pieces parts that, that, that David cried out for Lord he wanted the abiding in you he wanted the closeness he wanted to learn something so he could teach something Lord he, he wanted to be able to worship inside and out with his life and his thoughts and his mind and his words and his energy and God help us to crave that because God if we, if we are not craving you Lord, we, we, we won't often pursue you with great energy. But Lord, you're not even that hard to find. You're there in front of us all the time, Lord. God, thank you for who you are and what you and you only can do within us. Lord, help us to only come to you for those things. In Jesus' name, we pray.
Amen. Would you stand back up as we sing? And during this song, if you would like to pray, I'll be up front. If you know that you want to really want to give your heart to Jesus, that he's calling you into a relationship with him, would love to talk to you about how you could do that today. Not by our plan, but by the truth of God's word.